This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and to help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode, join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. some light reading in case I got bored. Welcome to another exciting episode of Literary Treks. Yes, your official books and comics show about Star Trek here on Trek FM. And I am just one of your hosts, Bruce Gibson. And if I'm just one of your hosts, that means there must be another one. I think that person is the wonderful, this tremendously talented Dan Gunther. Oh, me. I was I was looking over my shoulder to see who the heck you could be talking about. Uh, well, thank you. Wow. Yeah, no, uh, excited to be here. Well, I'm excited that you're here because I can't do this without you. Aw. Aw, chucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, on today's show, we're going to have our feature, which will include the novel... From Star Trek Enterprise, Surak Soul. So stick around for that. And we have Justin Ozer joining us to talk about that novel. But before we get into that, let's talk about a comic. Because this is a books and comics podcast. We have the book later. We have the comic now. This is what it is. It is a new number one issue of TNG, Terra incognita and this is a sequel to through the mirror the mirror universe comic series that we uh that was released as a weekly series back in may now this series is a monthly series but this issue takes place almost immediately after the last issue of through the mirror so let's go ahead and dig into that dan what do you think oh man i First off, I have to say, I really loved this issue. Uh, this is a really great start to this series. I think uh, on almost every level, this comic really hooked me in. The story, the art, uh, and all of it, I think, is really excellent. So uh, basically, you remember at the end of the previous arc, the Mirror Universe counterparts left with their tails tucked between their legs back to the Mirror Universe all except for one, and that's Mr. Barkley, who stayed behind and is intent on taking the place of the Prime Universe Barkley. 
So we join, like you said, this not this comic seconds after the previous series ended. And man, what a great setup for, I think, what's going to be a really cool uh, series going forward. Yeah, so the first panel starts off with the mere Barkley. I almost said the mere Darkly. <laughs> <laughs> the mere Barkley talking to the prime Barkley, who is now all tied up in Barkley's quarters. And what we learned from through the mirror is that the mirror Barkley was upset with the way people were treating him when he, they thought the, when the prime crew members thought that mirror Barkley was the prime Barkley. And he's like, why are they talking to me? Why are they treating me like crap? You know, and then he gets to find out that his counterpart in the prime universe is kind of a wimp and doesn't stand up for himself. And it really bothered him. So yeah, now we have the mere Barkley trying to replace the prime Barkley. And, uh, that's where the fun comes in because now we have mere Barkley walking around the enterprise and interacting with our crew members. Mm -hmm. Now our, our prime Barkley of course, doesn't get a lot to do. Like you said, he's all tied up. And by that we mean, we don't mean that he's just busy. He's literally tied up, bound and gagged in, in his quarters here. Uh, so we don't get a lot from him. He's struggling and that sort of thing just pretty much has a worried look on his face, but we do get, like you said, the mirror Barkley vamping it up and, and acting all, you know, evil and stuff. And I got to say here, Dwight Schultz would absolutely kill this. I would give anything to see Dwight Schultz reprise Barkley and play this out in like an episode of Star Trek because he is such a good actor. Um, like if you've seen him in anything else other than Star Trek, he's totally different character. He, he just a really terrific actor. And I think he would have so much fun with this and oh my God, I would love to see it. <laughs> well, because he would be playing a character who is trying to act like his prime counterpart so basically a character playing a character. So mm -hmm. he would be playing Mir Barkley trying to act like the prime Barkley. In right. this. So yeah, it'd definitely be an interesting dual role uh, situation. And I love how there's things in here. Like he looks to see, Oh, well, you know, what, what are, what is on the agenda today for Mr. Barkley here? And he's like, Oh, it's time to feed spot. And he's nervous about feeding spot because in the mirror universe spot, is this big, you know, saber tooth tiger, basically. Well, not tiger, but saber tooth cat, you know, really kind of scary. I remember us commenting that on about that on through the mirror. And mm -hmm. uh, then, of course, there's little delicate little kitty Spot. And he's like, oh, you're not what I was expecting. And Spot steps rubbing against him, you know, purr, purr. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got this really just like, ugh, whatever look on his face. <laughs> I love it. I love the idea of someone crossing over from the mirror universe with all these dastardly plans. And the first thing he does is goes and feeds Data's cat. <laughs> Like who wrote this? I love it. Like who thinks of this? That's amazing. I, I love yeah. this. <laughs> well, then there are, the enterprise is called to help the USS hood who has some Vulcan diplomats on that. They're transporting somewhere. I don't even remember where they're going, but <laughs> you know, it's, you know, they're having engine problems. So they go over there and 
Picard's like, Jordy, you need to go over to the hood and help them out. And so Jordy's like, okay. So he takes Sonia Gomez and, and Barkley with him. And, uh, and I think it's quite, you know, I, I mean, I like this, this comic, but the way that LaForge does talk to Barkley is disrespectful. <laughs> oh yeah, I was I was pretty annoyed with LaForge in this one. It's it's like yeah, he's right back to you know the first couple scenes in Hollow Pursuits and how he's talking to Barkley. And you know, I kind of I get where Mira Barkley's coming from. Jordy's being a total jerk. <laughs> yeah, because you know, not now, Reg. You know, it's like Barkley, Reg Barkley is about to say, oh, I know what the problem is. Not now, Reg. We don't have time for that. Just go over there and do this, Reg. And and he's thinking, Barkley's thinking like, what? Just now I know this, 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 they treat him so bad. I'm glad I'm here. I can, you know, correct things and put these people in their place. You know, how dare they? As a matter of fact, you know, when we think of the mere universe, we think of the, oh, they're all kind of like evil in a sense. But I mean, if anything, this mere counterpart is putting a mirror up to ourselves in the prime universe and saying, you know, we're not always perfect. We're not always treating people the way they should be treated. Mm-hmm. And I like some of this artwork here. Like for example, when they're beaming over to the hood and just the way Barkley looks, it's like, we know he's actually like a really confident, really capable, even though he's, evil <laughs> you know he's he's a confident person but even just the past couple little interactions he's had with laforge have kind of he's slumping his shoulders and he has this look on his face like oh i'm like i think that says something a little bit about how, why barkley is the way he is in our universe you know he's not given a voice um the way that most characters in tng would be so you know, it's, it's already affecting this Barkley too. I might be reading too much into that, but I'm like, Hmm, you know? Well, yeah, it's almost like you start to act the way you're being treated. Mm -hmm. You start to fall into that role. And then, you know, he's just wants to fight against that. I also found that when they beam over those first couple of panels that the engineer of the hood kind of looks like Jimmy Schmitz. That actor. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> just like this first couple panels <laughs> it's almost like a, a cross between jimmy smith's and tony stark i'd say with that yeah, goatee going yeah. On. <laughs> and uh, interestingly enough this engineer too uh obviously is not really pleased with the position he's in because he's described as inexperienced this new engineer and DeSoto is bringing in his old engineer and a bunch of other staff to kind of take over for him and he doesn't seem that happy about it he lets out a pretty big sigh when uh DeSoto says we can take we'll take all the help we can get you know well and i also then when barkley proves to Jordy and the others there in engineering that he does know what he's talking about uh he even says to laforge i tried to mention it earlier commander but and laforge says i know you did reg my bad mm-hmm I mean, really been nice if he would apologize more, but I think that's what we're supposed to feel because that's what Mir Barkley is feeling like, you know, come on, you got to show more respect here. You need to listen to what I have to say. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what's starting off this series. And, uh, you know, we're already starting to see a difference in the last panel. So spoiler alert, um, this Mir Reg Barkley 
Well, he's got a date lined up with Sonia Gomez. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And all, uh, so on that note, Sonia Gomez, how cool is it to see her again? She was only in two episodes of TNG in season two. So we've got this, which takes place, I think, during season four. Yes. So it's cool that she's kind of still around and still on the Enterprise. Now, later on, she'll go on to become a major character in the Starfleet Corps of Engineer books, which I might add, Corps of Engineer books, she's the first officer of the ship and the main character of that series. So Discovery, I love you and you're doing great things for Star Trek, but the novels did it first. (laughs) You like to point that out, don't you? I do. I do like to point that out. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it, it's it's illustrative of why we need the novels and the comics, but mostly That's the novels. Right. <laughs> That's right. Hint, hint. Well, <clears throat> Simon and Schuster. <clears throat> I, I encourage everyone, if you're listening to this, go ahead and get this issue. Check it out. Uh, it's really good. There's some it's not just about I mean, it's Barkley is but we, we do get some Picard in here. We do get Riker and and Troy and some Wesley and data and such. So, I mean, we're getting different crew members and, and even crusher, Dr. Crusher comes in. So our crew members are represented. Even Guinan is in this one. Yeah. And it's, it's clear that it's setting up some interesting conflicts and some really cool premises for future, uh, future issues too. So we've got this negotiation going on between a bunch of Vulcan ambassadors and the Cardassians. And obviously that's going to, come into the story later so it's really cool to see this kind of wrench thrown in through mirror barkley and and how's that going to upset what's coming and how's this all going to play out i don't know it just looks really cool and i can't wait to see where it goes from here yeah because it shows i guess the cover for the next issue and it's one of the vulcans and a cardassian cardassians like yelling at the vulcan their heads are like almost like about to bang into each other and troy's in the background like stop yeah, definitely uh, definitely setting something up for sure. Well, I know something else that needs to be set up, and that's our feature here on today's show. So let's go ahead and go right into that. I'm right there with you. Okay, now we're into the feature. And we have a special guest with us to talk through Surak's soul. And that is an associate producer of Literary Treks, Justin Ozer. How are you doing, Justin? I'm doing great. Uh, happy to be back on Literary Treks. Awesome. Happy to have you here for sure. Thanks. Yeah. And, yes. and talking another, I think the first time I was on Literary Treks, was that when we were talking about Patterns of Interference, the Enterprise novel from Christopher Albana? Was that the first time? Not. Maybe. It not might sure. have been. I can't remember if it was I don't the first know. time, but yeah. That's, uh... I know it was after STL of stlv last year wasn't it yeah i think so because weren't you like begging me so much to be on the show at that point or (laughs) yes i think i probably reached out to you many many times until you were like it'll be easier just to have him on the show than have him keep asking but yeah no it wasn't that bad it was bad but not that bad anyway no speaking of stlv guess where we're all going in a couple days yay yeah yes yeah that's exciting i'll get to see you again bruce i'll get to meet you dan i've never met you before yeah, that's exciting. I'll get to meet both of you, actually, in person. Oh, you've never met Bruce either? Yeah, it's weird. I'm like, we see each other almost every week, but yeah, never right. been in the but same we're room. complete strangers. But you know what? Like, when you see Bruce on the, the video conference on the, the podcast, 
he has some holographic projectors in place, so just be prepared. He doesn't actually look like that. It's like those person. Snapchat no. filters, but it's, <laughs> it's the face we see here. I actually look better in person. I personally don't even <laughs> see how that's possible. You know what I found interesting is when people who podcast together and then they meet in person, there's usually comments made of, oh, you're taller than I thought, or you're shorter than I thought, or whatever. So it's You're more Bruce than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> you're definitely Brucier than I imagined. Yeah, I think that was my reaction last year. Something like that. <laughs> so true. Well, uh, so Sirac Soul... Uh, this book was written by J.M. Dillard, and this is, and I didn't put it in the notes, but I think it's, yeah, it's number five of these Enterprise novels, and this is back in the day before Star Trek was in the title. It was just Enterprise. And so let me just ask you guys, let's start with our guest here. Is this your first time reading Sirac Soul? It is. Yep. Definitely my first time. Okay. And you have a physical book or ebook? I have a physical book. You know, as we were saying before the show, I... On the other side, on the other of, the side of the page. right? I was trying to remember the specific phrase you guys use. Um, on the other side of the page, that I pretty much only read physical books. And I guess it's for a couple of reasons. I, I love the feel of it. But also, like if I'm reading an ebook, sometimes it gets to be a little too much looking at the screen. And I know that, you know, there are ways to kind of mitigate that. But... But uh, I love it. So I'll only read an ebook pretty much if it's cheaper. That's the only way that I can get the content. So physical book. Oh, but I think the when we read A Stitch in Time, I had the ebook because it was so much cheaper than the physical book. Mm. Yeah, there are a few out there that for whatever reason, for a variety of reasons, are just priced into ridiculous levels. But yeah, I have I have the physical book. I think this is also the shortest one <laughs> of all the ones I've been on. So that was an interesting experience. I finished it like well, well in advance of this show. So here, here's the uh, one of the disadvantages because I read it as an ebook, mm. and one of the disadvantages is it, you know, tells me how many pages or what percentage I am reading through the book, and I think I got up to like eighty-seven, eighty-nine percent, and I was thinking, oh, okay, I've got about ten percent left, and all of a sudden it ended. <laughs> yeah, you're like. Oh, and is that because they count like all the stuff that happens after like the whatever the acknowledgement? Yeah, yeah. there was all like there was like twenty pages that listed all the other Star Trek books. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it was like, yeah, oh wow! Like, I was done. like, I gave, I stopped at one point because I thought, oh, I got something to do real quick, and I don't have enough time to finish <laughs> the rest. And I came back and I sat down, and like three minutes later, I was done. <laughs> Glad so. I saved those four pages. <laughs> Yeah, quite a quick read. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's under I th- it, roughly what, it's like two sixty? Well, I think it's two eighteen in the physical book. Yeah, two hundred and eighteen oh, pages. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow, two eighteen. So Dan, you have the physical book. I do as well. Yeah, yeah. And this is your first time reading it, right? It is. This is another one that I randomly picked up at some used bookstore somewhere over the past couple of years and just added to my collection and never got around to reading. So. So, so um, I, I'm kind of curious. Was this your first time reading it, Bruce? Oh, yes. This is okay. my first. So yes. what was the reason for picking this particular one? Because of what Dan just said. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, he just randomly I, picked I one up. Oh, I see. <laughs> no, no. Because a while back, like months ago, 
he said something. We were talking different enterprise books that we want to do. And he says, well, I wouldn't mind doing this one because I bought it a while back and I've just never read it. <laughs> cool. What can I say? I, I'm I'm kind of cheap. So, you know. No, I, I, I was interested because I was like, okay, I love enterprise. Paul's great. I love Surak in the title. Spoiler, Surak does not appear in this novel. <laughs> that is true. But uh, yeah, so, so it was very appealing to me. I was like, yeah, I'd like to be on that one. <laughs> so... Awesome. Well, and Dan's created a list of every Star Trek book that's out there, and he's marked which ones we've done in literary treks, and he noted that there aren't that many Enterprise novels left that <laughs> yeah, we haven't it, covered. There, there's actually not many Enterprise novels, like, period. Like, even mm-hmm. including all the relaunch, I think it's fewer than 20, 25, something like that. And I've I've read most of them at this point. I've probably only got, like, five or six left or something, so... Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like, we haven't done many on the show, really, of Enterprise novels. We've done a few, but that still, you know, puts us over half. (laughs) There's not (laughs) much left. Yeah, unless, you know, there's a new contract for new novels, maybe we'll get one. Hint, 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 hint. Come on. Come with that contract. (laughs) (laughs) Please. (laughs) I'll come over there and hold your hand and and have you sign it. Whoever needs to sign it. (laughs) Yep. Well, anyway, that's okay because we do have all these hundreds of novels that have been published that we can read just like Sorak Soul. And this one uh, starts off with Archer acknowledging the anniversary of Henry Archer's death, his father's death. And also here at the beginning, they receive a distress call and who she receives it and she's trying to translate it. And it's coming from Kappa Z2. Which I thought was like a sorority or something. You mean Kappa Chai? Is it Chai? <laughs> I don't know. It's an X and I. Whatever an Greek X and I stuff. is. But yeah, yeah, it sounds like it could be some fraternity or sorority planet. <laughs> I feel like I'm with my wife right now because she was in a sorority. And every time we like drive by like universities where you have like Greek row and I start reading the name, she pronounces it correctly for no. me. Just like Justin. <laughs> Sorry. I, I don't mean, I, I, it just came out. <laughs> no, I want you to correct me if I'm wrong on that. Okay. So. <laughs> I mean, that's how I understand it. I don't know for sure. So then the novel presents us with a medical mystery story where the entire population of the planet, the inhabitants called the Oani. Oh, oh, wait. I, I, there was a com- you know, there was a complicated thing where Hoshi was like, yeah, and it's a combination of what was a glottal stop and something else in the middle. And I'm like, I don't know how to pronounce that. Owani, yeah. fine. <laughs> it's it's Owani. Yeah. yeah, it's Owani. It's just for some reason, I, that I knew how to pronounce. I still but isn't there something up. that Hoshi does where she's trying to like pronounce it and people think that she's like harfing something up or something? <laughs> yeah, there's there's something about like a little like glottal stop, like you said, in the middle of it somewhere. But I think Boy, everyone I'm really else... sidetracking you, Bruce. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think everyone else is just okay That's with Owani. It is Oani because she does go Oani at one point (laughs) or something like that. But anyway, the whole population (laughs) of the planet, the inhabitants called the Oani, have all been killed. And whatever killed them, that begins to affect the crew members of the Enterprise. Now, Dan, is this something that thrills you? Now, this is something that I put in the notes here. I don't know what it is, but I, I. not a big fan of medical mystery stories like oh all these people are dying and we need to figure out 
what's killing them and i i don't know why it is it's just something about the like oh the doctors are working and then at the last minute they'll figure it out and blah 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 and that's not really quite how this story works but at the same time i was just like uh like bruce you'll notice the infection or double helix books are not yeah i was gonna i was gonna say like that's like six books of medical mystery (laughs) i think i read one and a half of them and i just you know what i I read all of them and i loved it and i love the medical mystery so i guess i'm a little different like (laughs) but but i thought this one was interesting because you know sometimes in a star trek novel it'll be like oh my god these people are dying how can we help them and like you know within the first chapter everybody was dead on the planet so i was like okay so where does this kind of go from here and trying to figure out what's going on. I thought that was great. I, I was actually really into that and really into the earlier parts of the book. But mm-hmm. I guess it's different. But yeah, you'll never read Double Helix then, huh? Oh, I, maybe someday. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> no, we're it's uh, th- And th- actually, to be fair, this story did turn out pretty interesting. And I do like, I did like that setup where, you know, they're basically finding the last two or three survivors on the planet and basically don't get to them in time. And the entire planet dies, which that is an interesting setup. And it did kind of hook me. So, but then I was like, okay, the enterprise crew is going to start. Almost almost all of them are kind of like calm and at peace with it. And it's like, what, (laughs) what is going Mm -hmm. on here? Yeah. I thought that was an interesting twist. What I thought was interesting is, and by the way, I've noticed when I listen to listen to episodes of literary treks, I always say the word interesting at least once. So I've already done that on today's show. So what I found interesting is while they're finding all these dead Luanis, they then detect with their tricorders, oh, wait, there's a live one over there. And they go running. And when they get there, oop, it just died. And then they detect another one that's alive. And they get there, oop, just died. And I was like, okay, there's got to <laughs> be something. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking there's something where these people are dying in due time and Enterprise crew member shows up. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, maybe... <laughs> there's something affecting them as they arrive but it was just a matter of timing yeah i initially actually had that same thought i was like oh my god this is going to be a we've introduced some sort of but that didn't then i realized it didn't really make sense because most of them would had died before they got there but yeah i thought there was going to be some connection there for a little for a well, minute that's interesting there. i hadn't even thought of that they were causing anything yeah it was just like a split second i was thinking wait is there something going on here with this? But I didn't even think about it being a a medical mystery. I'm not one for medical things. So that didn't bother me in this. It was just like, okay, these people, these Uwanis, have all been dying for some reason, and we don't know why. And I've seen that a million times in Star Trek stuff, including, you know, people getting distress signals. So already this book was starting off with things I've seen before. Yeah, although I don't know how often it is that it's like they're all dead. Their entire species is is dead pretty soon after they arrive. But yeah, it has some similarities. It feels like, um, and, and there are a lot of other things in this story that make me feel this way as we read on, but it feels like a very original series setup a little bit. Like I mm, it was kind yep. of flashing back to the deadly years where they go, Hmm. Uh, to the colony and everyone's aged and dying and I was like okay well this whatever this is is gonna happen to the Enterprise crew now and yeah or or that next generation episode where they all start aging including Pulaski right (laughs) remember that yeah Yeah. (laughs) 
I always love shows or movies where people age and then as years go on when the actor actually <laughs> becomes the age of the character that they, they were, look a lot then better. Look be- yeah, I mean, exactly. unfortunately, sometimes <laughs> some of this aging makeup isn't the best. But <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, they oftentimes look a lot better. Or they end up aging Wesley Crusher and he turns into <laughs> totally different hair color, big hulking guy, looks nothing like Will Wheaton. Um, yeah, they didn't project that one out very well. <laughs> no. <laughs> Seems like they needed some kind of computer program on the Enterprise D to figure that out. But Well, now they can digitally insert Will Wheaton at the age he is now into that episode. Oh, maybe they should have done that Ooh, when they remastered it. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm telling you, that would have been awesome. Oh, oh man. God. How cool would that have been as a surprise, yeah, like yeah. loading up the Blu-ray? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> And even just to get him in the little rainbow outfit would have just been fun. <laughs> yes. Ooh, that's uh, a I guess nice we should get wide tangent. Yeah. yeah, we should probably get back to Enterprise, I guess. But I like that. Well, let's get to uh to Pole. And you know, she doesn't wear rainbow colors. But as we mentioned, the Enterprise crew discovers the planet Oan and isn't able to save anyone there. And so the entire population is dead, except for one individual who attacks Hoshi. And as this individual is attacking Hoshi, everybody is like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And all of a sudden, a phaser shoots out at this individual, and Topol is the one who fired the phase pistol. It was on stun, but the problem is it actually did kill this individual, this Uwani. And so Topol is disturbed by this, and she chooses to embrace a strict interpretation of Surik's philosophy of nonviolence. So she goes to Captain Picard, and she uh, tells him You mean him Archer? Can... I'm sorry, what? <laughs> your your mind was still I'm on thinking the D. About... <laughs> I'm still thinking about Crusher. <laughs> Poor Wesley. No, I'd like to see that. Topol time travels to get Captain Picard's advice. All right. Whoa, it's like a reverse. These are the voyages somehow. <laughs> That would be great. Oh this my God. this this um, holographic <laughs> program came back in time and uh, oh boy! <laughs> wow, what does this say about what we think about this novel that we keep trying to not talk about it? <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> Try not to. I think too Picard much is on in the holodeck and he's going back to the Enterprise and he runs into Riker. No, anyway, so <laughs> so T'Pol goes to Captain Archer. And she says that she can no longer carry a sidearm or use weapons of any kind, even in self-defense, that she cannot kill anymore. She doesn't want to become violent. So what are your thoughts on this in the interpretation of T'Pol saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to kill anymore. Not only that, but Archer even says to her, what if this ship is being attacked? Wouldn't you fire phasers? And she's basically, no, she wouldn't do anything. Yeah, like when that happened, I had a couple of questions that came into my mind. Like, first of all, if she thinks that's the case, shouldn't she just like remove herself from duty for the duration of the mission instead of like still trying to do her thing and, you know, uh, being in the, the chair on the bridge when Archer's not there and all of that. But also, like it it does seem a bit like an overreaction because what you didn't mention is this guy who attacks... They're in environmental suits because they want to be cautious about what's going on. And this guy has a knife and it looks like he's ready to, I don't know, do whatever, harm her through the suit or, you know, cut off her oxygen supply or whatever. So seems pretty justifiable. But 
it's interesting that it gets her to think about this some more at because this is what during season two to get her to think about this some more and i i like that aspect of it because i very much do think about these things and you know being nonviolent and and you know what i would do in certain situations so i was really interested by that part of it but it did seem like for the situation that it was it could have it could have been framed in a way that maybe it was a bit more questionable i think with this guy like flashing a knife and it looked like he was really going to do harm that it's pretty justifiable and it was by accident she had it on stun so well yeah she had it on stun and if she hadn't done anything hoshi could have died that's right so but, but, but maybe it has this extra weight because he's the last of his species so it effectively like completes the genocide that's happened here you know oh maybe that spoils something but <laughs> <laughs> yeah you raise an interesting point there justin the the fact that she's still on duty on this earth ship you know it, it seems like what she's decided to do would be at odds with um if not the stated mission of the ship at least their uh their business as usual way of doing things you know um they do carry sidearms when they're on uh, landing parties and the ship I mean, it's does kind have of defensive what weapons. She, well, I don't know if signed up for is the right word because I think she was kind of assigned by the Vulcans to, to be there by this point. But, but it is kind of, you know, what she's had to accept for by this time over a year or so. Mm-hmm. It does feel like her next step would be to request uh, to be to be removed from Enterprise. It, 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 it's kind of interesting that it, actually, now that I think of it, that it takes place in season two. Maybe it could have been more appropriate in early season one when she was just getting used to it. And this is something new. I don't know. But then she's but then she's done all this other stuff that we find out um, later on. But anyway. I don't know. I, I just don't know what to think about. Although at the, at, when I was reading it, I was just like, oh, this is this is pretty interesting. But now I'm thinking about it and questioning like some of how it was. Yeah, there are a lot of kind of mitigating circumstances for sure. And and it's interesting that it's such a strict interpretation. And they even do go over the fact that, you know, her weapon was on stun. It wasn't intentional. But she intends to basically remove herself from any situation in which she might accidentally cause the death of anyone else ever for any reason. So it, it's very, very strict interpretation of of. Sirach's teachings and what I like about the scene or the scenes that uh, come after this moment is that everybody's treating to pull as if she's human and the fact that they keep reassuring her oh it's okay I know this is probably bothering you and she's like no it's it's fine I'm not bothered and it's like she's being Vulcan I'm being logical about this I did what I needed to do I'm fine and everybody keeps saying like you know if I know this probably bothers you. Oh, I know it's not easy. Da 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 da. And I'm buying it. I'm like, yeah, Topol's not affected by this. She's Vulcan. And then she becomes vulnerable, and we get into her head, and we start to find out. No, it really did bother her. And uh, and then her reaction to it uh, of wanting not to inflict any kind of violence of any kind. And I just thought it was so interesting because even when. Leonard Nimoy portrayed Spock, and I know I just switched series. This was on purpose, um, not by accident. But you know, he didn't want to hit or you know whatever, and that's where he came up with the you know death grip, you know, on the shoulder and blah 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 and all that stuff. And because you know Vulcans aren't violent, but there's times where they are violent when they have to 
of course, defend. And isn't that the philosophy even of Star Trek on the different uh, ships with Starfleet? You know, people accuse a starship of having phasers and yet, you know, you say you come in peace, but why do you have all the guns on your ship? And it's basically they're there for defense. Mm. But isn't that the same with DePaul? And then uh, we say... Uh, we'll talk about it a little later about her flashbacks, but uh, she's going through some teachings and she thought regarding violence, where do we draw the line? How deeply must we commit ourselves to peace if it is truly to affect the universe around us? It's uh yeah, no, it, it's interesting. And a lot of, you know, there's some good points made and, you know, like if you commit yourself so thoroughly to this idea of nonviolence, what if your entire species is wiped out because of that? And we actually see that play out with the Oan because they too have kind of this same philosophy. So it's interesting, the parallels there. And I think this novel actually does raise some really good, interesting questions. And they're the kind of questions that you can't really definitively answer in, in a book like this or indeed in life. Like you can you can ponder these questions your entire life and I don't think come up with any kind of really satisfactory answer. And uh, I, I, I really enjoy it on that for, for raising the questions and making me think about them. You know, there was one thing that, that you mentioned that, that I, I question, not what you're saying, but something that was in the book, which is like the, the Awani have this, this peaceful philosophy too, but they take it to a real extreme. Like they don't want to kill a microbe. And I just think like, you know, what do you think has been like happening all of your life, right? You can't see, because I mean, clearly I think they're advanced enough that they know about microbes and stuff like that. You can't avoid killing them because you can't even see them and there's all kinds of things you do that affect them. So that seems like a super extreme philosophy. Like could a civilization really have that philosophy? Mm. Yeah, it was very much to the nth degree. And I'm, to my mind, when I was reading it, I took that to mean like, um, curing themselves of this microbe would mean wiping out that microbe completely. Oh, like deliberate action instead of yeah, accidental whereas action? Not so much killing individual microbes, but wiping out that species of microbe forever. Which is still, you know, yes, if it's smallpox, of course. <laughs> you know, like that's... You know, right. Yeah. Right. But I mean, there is a line you have to draw at some point because I... I think there would be very few people that would that would consider like microbial life the same as other kinds of life or sentient or whatever. Mm, so. Yes, and I think that kind of plays out a little more in the book too. I think we'll get into that. But let me just ask you real quick about T'Pol and her stance on this. Is it logical? I mean, is that something a Vulcan would really think or do is what she did? Because I would think logically if you see this this individual with a knife going to apparently maybe kill Hoshi and you stun the individual. You're not trying to kill you stun and just so happens they die. And yes, they're the last of the race, but I mean, isn't it logical that she did the logical thing that needed to be done regardless of what the results were? It's, it's an interesting question because actually I think when you think about it, her real, problem and and the reason that she wants to you know go without the sidearm or not kill anymore is trying to measure herself up against Sirach and his philosophy so it really has to do with her her own sense of self <laughs> and and her own 
ego, right? So from from that perspective, I guess, you know, if you're trying to live the best life you can, yes, but she's really only looking at it from the context of like her herself and how she measures up, right? I'm I'm wondering if this were a ship full of Vulcans, if maybe a Vulcan would be able to talk to her and explain the logic of it and and they'd become they <laughs> they'd come to some sort of agreement that yeah no it's totally illogical yeah. to mm-hmm. take it to this extent well maybe she should have talked to to trip apparently he's versed in Sirox yeah philosophy. that was interesting <laughs> which i was surprised to find out <laughs> but yeah she's she's on a ship full of irrational humans and and nobody can speak to her in her language if that makes sense and and she kind of can't she eventually works it out works through it and well i mean spoilers but i guess if you've seen enterprise you know she continues to carry a sidearm but <laughs> <laughs> right i was like by the end of this she's gonna keep yeah, carrying exactly. one. <laughs> so she she manages to work through it herself eventually but yeah i just wonder if mm. maybe she had nowhere to turn kind of to kind of suss it out oh, that's that a good question sense. i'm just wondering if how this novel would have played if it was a different character that uh shot the phase pistol yeah, what if it was it was Phlox who's kind of uh his oath is to help and and really do do no harm? What if it was I don't know, maybe he would be on this mission because they knew it was something medical, but what if it was Phlox and he had to wrestle with that? Yeah. That could have And been then maybe he goes to Tapol and she teaches him about Surak's philosophy. Yeah. Or Ooh, or even like a human like character it. because the because Gandhi is brought up a bunch in this novel. And his philosophy of mm-hmm. nonviolence being very close to what Surak taught. So yeah, maybe like a human character deciding to embrace that. Hmm. That, that would be interesting. Hmm. Yeah. But I mean, I have to say, I think one of the things that drew me to be interested in the novel was that it was about hmm. T'Pol and it had the, had Surak's name in it because I'm just really fascinated by T'Pol and by the Vulcans that we see in Enterprise and and Surox. And so. obviously I was hoping yeah. Captain Picard but, would be in the novel, but he's not. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been, yeah, that would have been great. Maybe maybe the comic <laughs> version of Surox's soul would have Picard. Well, now there's there's a tie-in to a season two episode. So Dan, what, what, what do you, tell us about that. What are your thoughts on that? So very, fairly early in the second season, actually, Oddly enough, it's the seventh episode of the second season, and it's called The Seventh. Is it? And what's it called? Oh, The Seventh. (laughs) They're very creative with their titles. (laughs) So the theme of this book and and what T'Pol wrestles with, it's very similar to what she has to deal with in that episode. And in that one, she uh, had caused the death of an undercover Vulcan operative that she was trying to apprehend. uh, And that was way back in her past and she had those memories kind of suppressed and they've been coming back to the fore because there's another agent from that same mission that she's trying to apprehend. And the book brings it up, but I don't know if you guys noticed this or not, but whenever it comes up, it's just kind of almost as an afterthought, like to Paul's dealing with all yeah, insert paragraph yeah, here. Like there's a paragraph here, a paragraph there to Paul's dealing with this. And then it's like, this is very similar to my recent uh, thing with Jocelyn and Minos and all that. Yeah. I, I kind of like the, the, the connection, although it did feel a bit thrown in. I mean, that episode aired like four months before this novel came out. So how much time was there really? Because, you know, they have to do all this stuff to 
put it out there and have it done in advance. Right. And, so. and this is what I wonder, because this book was published in March of 2003. Uh, and in the acknowledgments, it says that it was written in late July 2002. And the seventh aired in November of 2002. So, like, I'm seriously wondering if, like, this novel was finished or nearly finished and then like, oh crap, this is the exact same thing that DePaul deals with in this episode. We better at least acknowledge it. Because it, it does feel like a bit of a retread. Like if you've just watched that episode and then you read this novel, it feels yeah. like, you know, didn't we just talk about this? <laughs> when I was reading it and I realized it was published in season two, I was like, oh, this must be taking place in season one. And then I saw the reference to the seventh and I was like, Oh, it's taking place in season two. Sure. <laughs> and it's interesting, too, because the author and the acknowledgments at the beginning of the book even puts their, her name and then says late July 2002 when she wrote the acknowledgment, which is before the 7th even aired mm -hmm. months before. So that just tells you she was writing this before the episode the 7th. And I thought it's one of two things. And more than likely, I think it's this first one, and that is that she wrote the novel, saw the episode eventually, right, you know, before the book's going to be published, and thought, oh my gosh, this, you know, connects really well into what I'm doing. There's some similarities there, and then worked it in, like you're saying, insert paragraph, insert sentence here, or, or whatever. <laughs> but at the yeah. same time, I thought, could it be, because we always talk about with Discovery, this is the first time a series has actually worked with the publisher, could it be that she was given the script early and or some of the scripts and she had access to them and could read them? I don't think that's the case, but it's a thought that occurred to me. I'm going to put forward possibly a big conspiracy theory that I don't think is true, but just makes me wonder a little bit now. So... The author had access to time travel? Exactly. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. But, um, so let's, let's say we're going to go into spoilers here now. We kind of already have a little bit, but like, because I want to talk a little bit about the end of the novel, or at least stuff that takes place throughout the whole novel. Oh, oh this will be a short end. episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're almost done Not here quite, now. <laughs> but I just, so it's a very small book. Like we said, it's 218 pages. It's very thin. And the the central story of the book, the central thing of the book, arguably, I would say, would be to Paul's kind of wrestling with this, what she's done, and that sort of thing. But if you actually read the book, the what's happening with the crew kind of takes center stage, and the to Paul stuff really just kind of is very thin to the end, and it gets wrapped up very quickly. Yeah. So I'm wondering if a lot of what happened in the book was extremely similar to what happened in the seventh. And then a lot of it had to be kind of cut out and then wrapped up a bit. It did like seem I said, abrupt. going out on a limb, probably not right, but I wonder. Yeah. Well, that's actually a big problem that I, we haven't talked generally about how I feel about, it, but that's a big problem I had with the novel because like I was kind of hooked into what was happening in the beginning. These people are dying. Paul has this, this thing and then it seemed like that conflict that she had just kind of disappeared into to the end and if we're getting to spoilers you know there's this creature that shows up and all this stuff right and it felt like you know for large sections of the novel especially like in the second half it was just about 
like what their dealings are with this creature and some kind of filler scene. I mean, there was some, some kind of amusing stuff like between Trip and Reed, but that had like nothing to do with the story. Like, I'm going to put you in my will, that kind of stuff. And so there were like in these different scenes and like Archer is saying, oh, Trip, you know, here's what to do if something happens to me. And it's like, this is a 218 page novel. And it felt like there was some filler in in the middle of it or that a lot of it was just kind of pursuing. And I have to admit, like another thing is as soon as Phlox got ill, I was like, okay, I know what's going mm-hmm. on, <laughs> right? Like because he's spending a lot of time around this creature. So right. yeah, yeah. It, it, I don't know if something like that happened that they had to to do some, some late changes, but it definitely felt like the DePaul focus really dropped off after the first half and didn't get picked up until right mm-hmm. toward the end. Yeah, the whole resolution at the end, it, it did seem abrupt <laughs> to me. It was, it, it just, again, I thought I had like 10% of the book left to read. <laughs> but <laughs> every, everyone hold hands. Yeah. They, okay, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm talking about. They, you know, they're holding hands because this, this creature, it's the wanderer, it's energy particles and it has this consciousness and it, and only communicates with Topol. It has this telepathy in, in, in talking in a female voice to Topol and I think in Vulcan, where they can understand each other, but the entity does not think that the humans are set in it. And so that they're just like, it, it, it wants to feed off the energy of these beings, of humanoids, if it cannot perceive them as being intelligent or whatever. And at the end, they're all holding hands and it goes to attack Reed, which I don't know why I thought it was funny at the time, but it just was that it was Reed at the end of the holding hands. As if Reed's just like, I'm willing to hold one hand, but not another. I'm just like, but it it shoots through everybody and then it's done. Like, Mm -hmm. it it, it had, it it got too full and then it just kind of. And the Vulcan ship arrived and took it away. Collapsed or something. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, whew, that's. That was one moment I. I had to actually kind of go back and reread a little bit because I'm like, I did I'm too. What I'm happened? Clear on what happened here, right? Because because I was still trying to make sense of it. Like, okay, because it goes through more than one person at a time, it's just like really weak, and now they can contain it. Mm-hmm. All right, <laughs> but like, and and but also, I mean, one of the things that's cool about this creature, the Wanderer, is when they first encounter it, it's like this cloud of energy, like hundreds of kilometers long, right? And it compresses itself into a more humanoid form to get on the NX-01, but I don't know. It just seemed weird that a creature that has like that much energy within it, it's like, up. Oh, I hit too many people. And it's vulnerable to electricity. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't it be vulnerable to, I don't know, some some exotic particle or <laughs> something? But it's like, electricity does it in. <laughs> like, okay. I don't want to rag on the novel too much, but there were some things where it was like, this mm-hmm. is a little weird. And that's, a, that's another <laughs> aspect that I felt felt very uh, like TOS to me, this kind of energy creature. I was kind of picturing something like the companion from Metamorphosis, like that just kind of trippy. Yeah. I was picturing a little bit the um, the vampire cloud mm-hmm. from Obsession. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of like mysterious presence and it yeah. kills I people. kind of had the, the psychedelic trippy lights of the companion going on in my head. Okay. It made the novel right. a little more enjoyable, yeah. actually, I have to say. <laughs> oh, okay. I could see. see, I wasn't thinking about that because for the most part, the companions. Were I had better special effects in my vision. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was your vision. Like it, it was, was an, an HD master. <laughs> it was all done CGI. <laughs> it was really good. It looked great. 
But I also like how they take the phase pistol and they create it so it shoots out electricity. And Trip forgets to ground it. <laughs> and it like electrocutes <laughs> everyone. <laughs> hey man, put your put your what is it? Like put your sleeve over that so you don't get electrocuted. <laughs> oh god, we're jumping all over the place. <laughs> no, but it's all kind of connected with that ending. It was just I mean, I, I liked this. I liked the book. I really did. Um but yeah, that it was just it just seemed rushed or just kind of ended abruptly to me that it just, like I said, and then all of a sudden I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I was looking, I was looking at my iPad looking, you know, did I miss something? And I'm turning it around on either end. Like, you know, <laughs> so I, I guess a question I have, I know you guys did buy the book. I haven't read that one. Was that a short one too? Um, I don't recall it being quite this short. Yeah. I yeah, don't think so. I actually had the ebook version of that one. So, I can't speak to like relative thickness of it. I was just curious because I actually read, I think it's the one right before this, what price honor, which is a read story, which I really liked. And it was also like only 200 something pages. So which one was it that you read? Okay. I haven't read price honor. Yeah. Me neither. I actually really enjoyed it. I'd say it. let's put it on the schedule, it's, it's but pretty then we'd be mostly done the Enterprise novels. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so by the book, I just looked it up, it was 252 pages. Oh, so it's fairly small too then. Yeah, but it was longer than this one. So one of the things also, I know we talked about the end of the book, but let's go back a little bit here to somewhere in the middle. And I know, Justin, you wanted to talk about some of these uh, backstories with T'Pol, which were really interesting. Um, I really enjoyed these aspects of the book. Oh, by the way, before we get into that, I looked up for what price on it. It was 336 pages, so my memory is like <laughs> oh, way, wow. way off on that. <laughs> it's a quick read. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, at the time. Yes, uh, so so we do see a young T'Pol. This was actually one of the things that kind of fascinated me the most because you know, you get to see T'Pol during Enterprise. You get to see her, you know, in the seventh a little bit earlier. But I'm trying to recall. I could be wrong, but I don't think we really see a flashback to like a young T'Pol. Like in this book, she's five or ten years old. So I thought that was that was really interesting. And there's a couple incidents in her life that she's flashing back to. And to, and to be honest, what I really would have appreciated more is if they had more of that, like kind of threaded through mm. the book, more of like her life experience, struggling with. Sirach's philosophy and nonviolence, but there were just like these two things back to back that they had. But so what happens is in the first one, she's five years old. Uh, there's she puts out a trap and she traps an animal. She thinks she's doing what she needs to to you know feed it, but she doesn't really know its requirements and it dies. And I think she's, if I remember, she's kind of upset about it and she goes to her her mother and her mother you know starts telling her about Sirach's philosophy of nonviolence. I, w- I wasn't sure if she had been exposed to before, if this is just in more depth, but I thought, wow, that's that's kind of cool, you know, five years old and learning about, you know, this deep ancient philosophy. Um, but then I think it goes deeper because when she's 10 years old at a lecture, I'm just like, wow, 10-year-old at a lecture by this Vulcan master, Sklar. And it, it's, it's actually, a f- I think, a fairly detailed section where He's talking about Sirach and his philosophy. He talks about Gandhi, which I think is really interesting because, you know, you often have the impression, especially in this period in Vulcan's history, that they're not, like, particularly interested in human history, but this guy is really interested in Gandhi and his nonviolent philosophy. Um, and I think he's he's talking about, um, you know, how 
he had all of these methods for nonviolent struggle that that eventually were successful in the British leaving India, but in the end he was assassinated. And the question comes up like, when should you defend yourself? Is it right to defend yourself? Um, you know, DePaul says definitely. Um, and then Sklar asks her the question, even if that means destroying an alien species, and she has no answer for that. And that's exactly the thing that has effectively happened here because this guy was the last of of uh, his species. So I thought that really added like some interest and depth and that there was this these previous experiences she's reflecting on even as a child when she was really getting into that philosophy so that that i gave it some more meaning for me that it had been something that she'd been you know thinking about and that had been a part of her life for a long time because by this point she's i want to say like 60 65 or something like that if i remember <laughs> so it was like a long time ago but um, I don't know what you guys thought of it, but that's something that really caught my attention that I wanted to talk about. Yeah, I really appreciated those parts of the book as well. And I hadn't thought about it, but yeah, that would have been an interesting way to do the book if you had that more kind of threaded through the story and having her kind of reflecting on that throughout the story, you know, kind of until she comes to her decision at the end. And or even if she had something like, and um, I, I actually think there was a recent one that you guys did at Time to Sew where there were these different like journal mm. entries from this guy in the civilization. Even if she had kept like a journal during her life and she was looking back like even maybe when she was like five or ten years old writing about this or throughout different parts of her life and how it had threaded through, I would have really liked and appreciated that and it would have been more it would have been yeah it would have been nice but. to see in a lot of these backstories on her because it would almost be a bit of a a biography of Topol, the book. It would have been half biography and half right. the story. Which I don't think we really no. get, right? We don't really get like her life story that mm. I know of. No, and maybe like an Uncle Spock came back through time to save her from something. <laughs> Uncle Spock. <laughs> yes. Some cousin of the family. Yeah, maybe. something like that. <laughs> No, I, and I, I did enjoy that. And I love the references to Gandhi. And, uh, you know. Yeah, and, and it, I mean, it not only comes up at the, toward the beginning, but at the yes. end, too. And I thought that could have been an interesting thread as well. Maybe she's, like, reading about and reflecting on Gandhi's experiences. Then you can read more and, like, find out more in depth about, like, what he went through. Because I think people generally have, like, a certain notion of Gandhi and what he did. But some of the specifics of, like, his life and the things he went through were would be really interesting. So it'd be a longer novel, but I thought there was an interesting potential to thread those things through and to, to really show her being inspired by a human example, which you wouldn't expect at this mm -hmm. point in enterprise. And I mean, the novel certainly has the space for it. I think, you know, I think the story could have been a lot more uh, built upon with a lot more backstory to it as well. And I also have to say, I really loved the scene just kind of made me smirk when, uh, to Paul asks Reed, are you aware of Gandhi? And he's like, oh, yeah, and rattles off a bunch of stuff about him. And to Paul's like, oh, I didn't expect that. <laughs> I just thought right. that was kind of nice. Well, maybe because they watch Gandhi on one of their movie nights. That's, that's oh, probably maybe that's it. it. <laughs> that's probably it. Which, by the way, I know that movie's a little over three hours because I'd never seen it before. And because of this book, I watched Gandhi last night. Oh, Wow. Yes, you did because oh, I wow. wanted more detail. I knew about Gandhi and things, but I was like, you know, I've always wanted to watch that movie, and now I wanted more details, so I watched the movie last night. So 
It got me to re or, or it actually watch. Nice. Comedy. You know, I'm gonna have to watch the whole thing sometime. It's so long that I've only been able to like start watching it, and then like something comes up. Yeah. Or, well, don't worry. There's but, an intermission. So that came up. <laughs> the intermission came up, and I was like, "Oh, okay." And I just fast forward through it. I actually love that in some of the older movies where there's like the intermission with the music yeah. and all that. So. And this movie came out in anyway. I think it was the early '80s. Yeah, or '82 sounds right. Yeah, and there have been many movies since then that do the intermissions. It was probably one of the last because that was more something in like the yeah. 50s and 60s, right? Yeah. When they'd have a long movie. You know, Bruce, I have to admire your dedication. I kind of maybe half thought that oh, I should maybe watch the Enterprise episode the seventh, but nah, I don't have the time. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the time. I'll watch Guess the three what? hour movie. I watched, I just feel I really watched bad. the seventh this morning. Oh, I knew. You did? I oh, wow. It. You got all kinds of time. <laughs> no, I was just like really interested to watch the seventh because I saw the, the show notes. I thought, saw that was in there. I was like, I, I haven't watched that in a while. I wanted to see it. And I wanted to see if it fit well into this book, which... It, in a lot of ways, it does because the fact that she does not recall the memory of killing someone and now she does, mm -hmm. this is a new experience for her. It's something she has to deal with. That's that's true. And it doesn't say in the in the novel, but I mean, considering this came out like three quarters of the way through the season, it can't be that supposed to be take place that much later. So, yeah, maybe that's fresh in her mind and that's mm -hmm. why it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it doesn't really it play actually, that much in the book, but it would work. To, to mention that yeah and it does actually kind of make sense that you know if this experience caused her to take this drastic step well that explains more why she had that procedure to have them suppressed back then because clearly it affected her very deeply you know i hope my boss isn't listening to this episode because i was working <laughs> from home this morning and i had the seventh playing in the background Working from home in very large quotes. While marks. you were working. <laughs> <laughs> so any other thoughts on Sir Axel? Um, I, I do want to say because of the length, and I know we say this a lot about uh, when we do ebook exclusive novellas and stuff, this felt very much like an episode of Enterprise. Like an yeah. episode, yeah. It just exactly. the length and just the pacing of it, it really felt it was a much smaller story than I think we usually get in the novels, especially lately. So it was very much, you know, crisis setup, you know, you get the middle bit where they're figuring it out and then a resolution credits roll. You know, it really felt paced like an episode. So um I did appreciate Oh, I, I have to say one thing about it. Go go sure. sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry I got excited. <laughs> Cutler's yes, in this novel. That's true. <laughs> and she gets to be like like chief medical officer for a day <laughs> or something, which is cool. No, I, I, I like that because I think the last episode she was in was at the end of season one. And of course, unfortunately, the actress Kelly Waymeyer died, I think, after mm -hmm. season two. But it was so cool to to see her. And, and she's like, I think, doing a great job in yes. sick bay. So thank you I for mentioning that because I, I had that in the back of my brain earlier today i was like oh, i want to mention that and I'm, i totally forgot then so, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah she's a favorite of mine too i i yeah it's really sad that she passed away so young because one of the things i love actress. about discovery that has always bothered me on the other series is the lack of medical professionals on the ships where discovery there seems to be various doctors which i love mm -hmm. They do have a lot of people. And so yeah, when I, you've yeah. got, you know, Enterprise here, the NX-01, and Phlox can't treat anybody, <laughs> well, we don't, got, we don't have anybody else. I'm like, when you've got hundreds of people on a ship, 
I would think you'd have at least one other person. Although, although, don't they say something in this novel about there only being 60 people? I thought I there was more 80, on the annex. I 80 some is what they've said in the series. Oh, and I think that's what they said in this book. But it seemed like it was less in the, in the novel. Could but be. I, I, be I might be misremembering as well. And I haven't, I, do I like, haven't served in the military to yeah. know if, like, on a military ship, if you only have one doctor if, or not. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, but you would. But it is weird because it's. It seems like it's just Phlox. He doesn't have like a nursing staff or anything like that. It's like it's Phlox, and if he's in hibernation, oh yeah, well. it's kind of funny. Like Archer, <laughs> you know, we'll do Archer our best. actually comments. He's like, "Huh? I never thought we'd need another doctor. Weird." And I'm like, "Really? Like, <laughs> like really? People sleep? really? Yeah, you got to have some backup, but people. <laughs> yeah, especially if there's a, a big battle and you have you know various crew members, or even if you're rescuing." Let's say they go to this planet and they find some of these beings still alive. I mean, can only one doctor treat everybody? I mean, you need other medical staff. It is. Yeah, it is odd because like, yeah, I mean, you see like in the original series and Next Generation, sometimes things happen and there's like multiple casualties. You can't all do it alone. Like McCoy couldn't do it alone and Crusher couldn't do it alone, right? They have some other people. And especially in like a a space battle situation or something like that, all it takes is a stray bulkhead. And all of a sudden, you've got no doctor at all. No doctor. <laughs> that doesn't yeah. seem like a good yeah. idea. But uh, I don't know. Cutler's gotten some training. Yeah. She's the backup. Too bad Tom Paris wasn't so. there either. You know, he's got some training. <laughs> 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 what do I know? I just took a biology right. class. <laughs> so one idea uh, I had years ago about it, if if I were going to create a new Star Trek TV series, and I'll throw this out there. If anybody wants to take it and run with it, be my guest. Hey, they I are they're developing some, some, so they so. can use this idea. I'm not very much into medical shows or even medical mysteries, but I always thought it would be interesting if there was a series where it was a medical starship that goes around to planets and helping. Uh-huh. Kind of kind of like the pasture and all good things. Well, mm. I always thought of it as, yeah, ex- ab- absolutely, yes. And I used to think of it as like, it's like ER in space or MASH in space or something. <laughs> You know what's kind of funny is I said at the top that I don't really like medical mystery shows, but I had this idea after Deep Space Nine ended for like a pasture type ship operating in Cardassian space as like relief ship kind of thing on behalf of Starfleet, kind of putting out brush fires here and there and helping the Cardassians get back on their feet and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. That'd be pretty interesting. I mean, I I definitely feel like they need to have some series that go out of the box a little bit. Like I like the idea of a Starfleet Academy series because that's different. You get to see more of earth. Maybe there could be a medical ship. Maybe you could have a Corps of engineers series. I mean, there's like so many different like ways to go about it or, you know, one that's about the Federation president. I want to see Star Trek, the West wing. That is, yeah. uh, oh my God, that would be my dream. The Articles of the Federation. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because if you think about it, like so far we've basically had every show has been on a ship except Deep Space Nine, which was on a station. Mm-hmm. But every show has been on a ship or a station. Like why not something else? And when I, yeah, we've talked about a medical ship, but it's like a standard exploration kind of ship. Mm-hmm. And then there could be novels about there it, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All yes. of the novels. That's why we read the novels for more Star Trek, different Star Trek. Stuff that's mm-hmm. out there. So 
that's that's why I read it because there's all these stories I haven't seen before. Because if you've seen everything in Star Trek on screen already, like there's still other things to discover. That's so. right. It's one of the things that I loved when they were coming out with the idea behind Discovery. They're like, the first officer will be the main character, and everyone's like, that's crazy. And all of us who read the novels are like, that's been done no. in the novels. Yeah. Like <laughs> the novels are years that's ahead of crazy. you. That's not crazy. Yeah. Right. I actually, when I watch Discovery, feel like I am, it feels more like a novel experience, mm-hmm. you know, like book one, book mm-hmm. two, or, or yeah. chapter one, chapter and two. And the, the writers even talk about it that way as chapters, yeah. 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 So speaking yeah. of books, Justin, final thoughts on Sirach's soul? Well, you know, like, so like we said, this is a short novel, and for me it was kind of like half and half, like in the first half I was like, ooh, what's going on, this planet's kind of interesting, everybody's died, what's happening, and then to Paul is dealing with this thing. I mean, one of the things we only briefly touched upon is Hoshi is trying to um, kind of translate this language and figure that out. I actually love the scenes where she was doing that and she was getting all excited about learning about it and, you know, being empathetic for what was going on. I thought that was great. But it seemed like at a certain point, maybe not quite halfway, maybe like page 90 or, or 100, like it shifted shifted away from T'Pol, you didn't see as much what Hoshi was doing, and it became more about like, oh my god, people on the on the one are getting sick. Oh my god, it's this creature's fault. Run from the creature! You know, like it felt like there was just like pages and pages of that kind of stuff and also like filler conversations. But then like toward the end, it kind of got back to that. But, but yeah, overall, like... I, I feel kind of mixed about it because there was a lot that I loved about it, but I felt like there was some missed potential in what could have... I mean, we even talked about, like, it could have been more about DePaul, could have been more about her background or about Gandhi or whatever, because for me, like, there were two things that were... Maybe three things that were the most fascinating about the book, like DePaul's struggle with, you know, trying to deal with her actions and nonviolence, like what Hoshi was doing to try to interpret things and figure out things for the civilization. Um... And I think the third thing is something I've lost. Well, there was something else. <laughs> no, no, the creature. That's right. The, the, I mean, like, but at first the creature was really fascinating where it was like, wow, it's this huge energy creature and it's trying to help. At a certain point, it just became like this threat and a and like this menace. Um, I think the one thing that we didn't talk about, excuse me, that, that we didn't talk about too much is that it has a different definition of sentience than we usually see in star trek right it's like vulcans are sentient because i can contact them mentally humans and donobulans are not because i cannot so for wanderer it's justified to take these people's energy and kill them you know just as humanoids might you know kill other creatures they don't think are sentient right so i thought that was interesting but unfortunately it just feels like for a lot of it it got kind of sidetracked by the action or the you know, the, the menace of, of this creature. So it wasn't quite as, as, uh, exciting as, as I would have, have thought. So if I were to rate it, um, but I did, I mean, I did like it overall. I enjoyed it and I'm glad that I, I read it, but, um, I would probably give it, um, seven Vulcan lectures by the master Sklar. Mm-hmm. There it is, the seventh. <laughs> there is that too. <laughs> yeah, no, I um, like I was saying before, it feels very much like an episode kind of thing. Um, the the other thing that popped into my head was that it 
you know, reminded me of the episode, the seventh. And then it also started reminding me of the episode, the crossing, you know, where they go into the, the, um, the catwalk on the nacelles to get away from the wisps. Oh, right. Because they end up like congregating in engineering. Right. right? Yeah. So very similarly, there's something in here that's keeping this creature out. So we're going to all go to engineering. So little things like that, that, um, you know, and, and those I think are just coincidences, much like I think probably the seventh was and why it was included last minute, I think, in the novel. But, you know, who knows? Stuff like that that just really gave me the vibe of Enterprise, you know. So, you know, in a way it's kind of like, oh, this feels, you know, like a retread or a pre-tread, I guess, maybe. Um, but at the same time, it, it fits really well in the Enterprise universe. And I think, like I said, J.M. Dillard shows her affinity for the original series because there's a lot of ideas that feel like the original series here as well. Um, and yeah, I really liked, I re- I enjoyed this book. I wouldn't say I really liked it actually, but you know, it was a solid book. It was an interesting story. Um, and I think I'd probably give it, I'd say three out of five, um, electrical shocks to trip. Ouch. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, Dan, you mentioned the crossing because it actually came, came out a month after this novel came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why so, I was like, it's kind of a pre-trend. All this weird time. <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I, I think I think you're right that I think she captured the spirit of Enterprise and to and like right at the beginning when it's the Captain Starlog, I totally heard Scott Bakula's voice like right away mm-hmm. doing the the Starlog. So it it definitely felt like like a really solid Enterprise episode, but could have been better yeah well i i heard scott bacula's voice too because he actually was over here reading the book to me which i really appreciated i need to thank scott for doing that oh you had him uh, come over to yeah do that? we had coffee and anyway <laughs> but <laughs> so and then he the book ended he goes is that it i <laughs> i i i enjoyed the book yeah it wasn't the best star trek novel um but if anything, if it gets me to start thinking about things like the whole nonviolence, if it gets me to watch, it got you to Gandhi, watch a three-hour exactly, movie. Exactly, <laughs> gets me to watch a previous episode. You know, all these things. Then it's like, okay, this book has actually got me thinking. It's not just me sitting there reading it and I'm done with it. So I really enjoyed that, and it, yeah, it did feel like an episode. I like getting more about to poll. Um, and I think for all the reasons we mentioned before, there's some things we would have liked more of, which I think is a testament to it being a good story, that there's just more that could be done with it to make it even better. So I would actually, you know, give this book, you know, almost a full complement of a medical staff in its sick bay. Wow. That would have been really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And how many people would a full complement be? Um, more than one. More than one. Yeah. <laughs> more than one. <laughs> With yes. Porthos visiting. Just because mm. he's cute. And Porthos <laughs> does make an appearance in this book. I like that Hoshi kept caring for him. Oh, that's true. That was very that cute. That was quite cute, yeah. <laughs> Any book with Porthos is good. <laughs> well, Justin, uh, if people want to find you online, where can they find you? Well, you can find me elsewhere on the network, co-hosting Earl Grey. That's our dedicated Next Generation podcast. And uh, that's with Amy Nelson and Richard Marquez. We have a great time talking about the Next Generation every week. Uh, You can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. 
Uh, I do hang around our listeners group on Facebook, the Babel Conference. And as I've mentioned before, there are some specific Facebook groups that are dedicated to Star Trek books and comics that I participate in a lot and put a lot of um, my thoughts and reviews on novels. That's the Star Trek Books Community Group, the Star Trek Books Discussion Group, and literally Star Trek. So a lot of places where you can find me and hope you'll reach out and want to talk novels and Star Trek with me. One thing about those groups, and I do see you make those posts, but one thing about those groups is when people post books that they're reading or just read, sometimes they just want to go, no, not yet. We're going to cover that one in a couple months. <laughs> <laughs> you, you could comment and say, hold off on that. We're going to cover it on literary There's stories. times I have said, oh, we're going to be doing that one next month or, you know, so... <laughs> Anyway, well, thank you for joining us, Justin. I'm sure we'll have you back, and we look forward to seeing you at STLV. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, when this episode comes out, I'll see you guys in just a couple days, which is really exciting, so looking forward to that. And if there are any listeners of, of Literary Treks, hope you come and say hi if you're at STLV. Yes. Definitely. Absolutely. You'll find us at the bar. Crying <laughs> <laughs> yes, that there's no more Star Trek books coming out. <laughs> Or maybe celebrating yet, that yet, there are. Yes, yet. or celebrating. Yes, yes, exactly. Yet. It's going to come no. sometime in our lifetime. No, much sooner than no, that. We'll be all <laughs> over the place, so we won't just be in one place all day. <laughs> I know some people who will be, but that will not be us. So, well, thanks again, Justin, <laughs> and we'll be seeing you soon. Oh, it's, it's just, like I said, it felt like an episode, so this is where the theme music plays, right? I mean... We just finished the Enterprise story. Everything got wrapped up. T'Pol learned her lesson, and now we're in the closing credits. This is when I skip to the next episode to start watching it, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're saying you skip over the orchestral music, but you listen to the, it's been a long road. No, I skip that now, too. Ah, uh, okay. I used ne to listen Netflix to Netflix great? Netflix <laughs> has that little skip intro now, mm -hmm. and I use that. But no, every once in a while I'll listen to the openings just because it makes it feel right, you know? Yeah. I actually do kind of like the opening theme song. There, I said it. Hashtag unpopular Star Trek opinion. Yes. And on a special episode of Literary Treks, you will sing the whole song for us. <laughs> Maybe as like a Patreon perk or something like that. Well, because I actually I don't know if anybody wants to hear that. Maybe that'll be a punishment for people who listen but don't contribute to Patreon. <laughs> I'm feeling it. STLV will get you singing it. Oh, boy. <laughs> You'll be standing up uh, on a table somewhere. It's been a long road. Anyway. Uh, and the re like during STLV must be when the entire city of Las Vegas just goes, oh, my God, Trekkies. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> well it's been fun talking about trekkies in las vegas today but it's not the only thing we've been discussing on the network so here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on trek fm previously on trek.fm meta treks you can see the gene roddenberry playing with the idea of what we could become given our full potential and the aliens that have achieved that looking down and, and kind of criticizing or examining or evaluating humanity from a moral standpoint almost like q does in, in putting humanity on trial there's a sense in which humanity is being judged by these morally superior aliens that are genuinely pacifist or in the case of q genuinely narcissistic the edge a star trek discovery podcast 
he's not trying to, to be a Starfleet officer. He doesn't care about doing that in the context of, well, because I want to prove that I'm a Starfleet officer. But I think that, and again, this is what perhaps in, in hindsight, after the fact, he starts to realize that who he is aligns itself or can align itself with what Starfleet stands for. To the journey! I was wondering why they didn't do a mind meld at the end of the, the episode. Why, why would they do that? Because Tressa has 90 some odd years, 94, 96 years of life experience, and Tuvok is a Vulcan, so he can mind meld. Why wouldn't he do that? Because there's no reason to do that. You're just going around mind melding with people willy-nilly just because they're old and you want their knowledge? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, it's like space genealogy. Dude, boundaries. Melodic treks. And, uh, you know, I talked to the producers when I first did the show, and the first thing they had me do was take a combination of the da 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 you know, the Sandy Courage wonderful horn theme, and uh, Jerry's da-da-da-da-da-da, you know, his theme for the first movie, and, and make a theme out of those and combine them. So I did it electronically, and they said, good enough. And I said, I oh, look, this is not my specialty. And they said, never mind, you got it. So 18 years later, you know, that was it. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Shatner. <laughs> well, if you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And, you know, if you have the time, we'd really love it if you left us a star rating and a written review. But if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party third party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link as well. I tried to do that really fast and obviously messed up. I want to know about those <laughs> third-party apps. well if you'd like to help us (laughs) (laughs) and we clearly need it (laughs) you can become a patron of the network on patreon visit patreon.com slash trek fm that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash trek fm to get all the details perks include Early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. So we really appreciate your support and hope you'll join in on the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Not all perks available in all territories. See in store for details. Wait, no, never mind. Scratch that. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place, of course, to join in the larger conversation is in the Babel Conference. That's our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up, and someone will let you right in. Just make sure to behave in there. We keep up the riffraff. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Literary Treks because that's the best show, and that'll come right to us. And you can also find the network on Twitter at trekfm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. Find us on our Goodreads group where we have a bookshelf with all of our previously covered books as well as what we're currently reading. You'll see that section so you know what is coming up for the future shows, plus There's great conversations happening about the books and the comics. 
Just search for Literary Treks on Goodreads and click Join Group. And we'd like to thank Norman C. Lau, Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, Brand Shamatella, Justin Ozer, and Jeffrey Harlan for their support of the Trek FM network and being associate producers for Literary Treks as well. Now, Dan, when you're not cuddling up with Porthos in the engineering section, where can people find you? Aww. I'm posting him to 22nd Century Instagram because that dog is going to be a star. And you can find those pictures at Kurtrats47. I'm also on Twitter at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. I'm on YouTube.com slash Kurtrats Productions, Facebook.com slash Kurtrats Productions. And of course, you can find me in the Babel Conference. Now, Bruce, when you're not cobbling together some sort of device to shoot electricity and accidentally shocking yourself in the process... Uh, where can we find you? Well, I am the Emperor from Star Wars, and I can shoot from my fingers the electricity. <laughs> or you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And you can find me on the Star Wars report talking about Star Wars and the Emperor shooting electricity out of his fingers. And you can always find me in the Babel Conference talking about Star Trek, of course. So... Well, thanks everyone for listening. And until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one. <laughs>